What's up, friends? This season-ending episode of Power Spike is brought to you by Trolley Sour Bright Crawlers, the multi-flavored sour gummy worms that want nothing more than for you to chew their delicious sour heads and bodies into pieces. The Trolley Sour Bright Crawlers crawl to the beat of their own yummy gummy drum and are truly unlike any other gummy out there. It's your boys, Digon, Dom, and Monty. For the last time in 2023... Uh, don't worry, uh, as we've been able to tell over Twitter today that uh, although the lull esports season has ended, the spicy drama has not. So there is a need yep. to follow along. Uh, how are you doing, Dom? Oh, I'm doing good. I, I mean, it sucks that I have to share the show with a host one trick. But you know what, Digon? We're, we're, we're done with the show after this for the rest of the year. So I got a one month break. It's a, I know. You know it's there's a no good off season. There's, not, there's no off season this year, which is like crazy because it, because of the Asia games world started so late that we're just going to be rolling again by mid January. There's there's basically just there's there's nothing. We lost three weeks yeah. of off season thanks to shitty Asian games. You know what? I'll yeah. take it. I feel like off season is kind of like the worst. Like I don't need a fucking eight week break at the end of, of the year. You know, I, I, I like I like the fact that they're not doing a preseason this year because at least now you can play solo queue. Like normally this off season is just hell as a content creator because the changes generally are not big. Now they're big, but generally the, the changes are not big to the game. So you get like two weeks where what did we get? We got like jungle pets. You figure that out after like a day, then two weeks in you're <laughs> familiar with all the changes and then you're just playing solo queue with no purpose because everyone is trolling because no one thinks it matters because it's preseason at least now you don't get the fucking preseason so you actually get quality games and it's like i don't need a, a super long break like a couple, couple weeks three weeks i'm good let's go next year are you excited about some of the changes they've made i mean it's extensive yeah. this is the biggest yeah. update that we've yeah. had in a long time i think that this is going to be insane for the game like this this year and last year were essentially the same year there was nothing yeah. really that changed substantially. Sure, you had jungle pets. It's just like the same as like your jungle item being reworked slightly. Not yeah. significant they in any way. They changed smite. Yeah, they changed. <laughs> I mean, they changed smite. But like, I mean, are you talking about like the 450, 900, 1200? Yeah, 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 I'm just about trolling. That? <laughs> yeah, there's that. I mean, they, they removed red smite from the game. Like that's something. I, like they did small changes, but it didn't feel like a new season. Like last year and this year might as well have been the same thing. Same prio on objectives. Most teams are playing generally the same play style. Um, yeah, it, it was it was kind of boring the last couple of years. So next year, I think will be a lot more fun. Just the new gank angles that you have mid lane. Like it's just going to be so fresh to see how people use the changes. Like I love watching really insane players, like people like Canyon, for example, people that are just naturally so insane at the game adapt to the new patch because they always have like crazy things that when you watch pro league, it makes you want to play the game. You'll see them do something and be like, holy shit. I didn't even like think that was possible. Implement it into your own gameplay and you're just ready to go. So for those that don't know what we're talking about, understand or weren't paying attention during the finals, uh, the new 2024 season reveal has come out. There's map changes. It looks like Baron is now Baron, and some of the buffs are straight out of like Stranger Things. The big thing is definitely the map changes, gank angles, entrances into Baron and to bot lane from Red Side have been altered pretty significantly. So uh, they we're they like to see some unique role uh, paths there. Yeah, they added more paths to make the map more symmetrical from blue to red side. Uh, they've like widened the kind of brushes in mid lane so that uh, uh, what they say is that so lower mobility mid laners can exist. 
Um, they've changed the brushes in the river, which is pretty significant for ganking both in top and bot lane. There's now like a pixel brush in the middle instead of the brush that hugs the side. Then they've changed, they eliminated First Herald and put uh, these like void grubs that give a permanent boost when you kill them to your pushing power. So they do a, a damage over time to turrets. It's all going to be very, very interesting. And then you can like steer the void, the the, uh, the herald that uh, spawns at uh, what 14 minutes I think now so it's it's a lot of changes a lot of different strategies new objective priorities um it should be it should be very interesting I'm I'm intrigued I'm glad they're making a lot of changes to Dom's point because unfortunately the reality of this situation as we've seen with worlds and with the past couple of years of competition was that it was boiling down to like a lot of bot priority and Drake fights. And now it feels like there's more reason to per to play topside priority, considering you can get permanent buffs to sieging early. So I think it, it changes based on like team composition identity and what you're trying to do. Like obviously with yeah. long range comps or split pushing those early, but those early buffs that you can get for the rest of the game to damage over time over towers, towers could be very valuable. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much the team with bot prio would get Drake around like five, six minutes, and then that team would then swap their bot lane to Herald, and you just play around Herald like almost every single game. Like, it was almost so solved. There was a couple situations where if you had a Filios or a Champion that could really hard push bot, you would send your AD carry bot, and you'd like 4v5 try to stall them out at the Herald, and then, you know, let your Filios get plates or, or whatever. But for the most part, everyone was playing the same game the same way, and I want players have to I want players and teams to have to adapt to new situations and not just have like a, a just framework for how every single game should work yeah well we'll we'll see how this changes up for next season as we prepare for next season but our first segment is about two teams that aren't preparing for next season it's everything is on fire golden guardians and evil geniuses leave the LCS All right, so on Monday, it was announced by Mr. John Needham himself. He, you know, we, we, we were able to get him to come down from the world's high and acknowledge that <laughs> LCS is on fire. Golden Guardians and Evil Geniuses uh, <laughs> made the decision to leave uh, the LCS. There was um, calls that happened where an offer was given to have the teams uh, buy out of their slot. And uh, Golden Guardians and Evil Geniuses took that. So the LCS is now down to two teams. Uh, they were thanked for their time in the LCS to help it grow over the last uh, uh, several several years. But guys, eight teams in the LCS, two team owners and organizations buy it. It seems like multiple people getting blindsided by this decision. Monty, here we go. Let's start with you. What do you make of this decision by both Riot and the teams to pull out of the LCS or those two teams? Look, I do have sympathy for Riot in this situation because it seems like they were not aware of what was going on, particularly with Golden Guardians. Now, obviously, they're highly aware of what has been happening with Evil Geniuses uh, to the degree that they've been doing their own investigation with an independent law firm for the past, I don't know, year that hasn't come out yet with any kind of competitive rulings, kind of ridiculous if you think about what's going on with Evil Geniuses and the whole Danny situation. But now they don't have to deal with it anymore because they could just sweep this right under the rug because Evil Geniuses is no longer here. So I don't believe that they were not aware of some of the issues that were going on with EG. In fact, as Richard Lewis 
reported they were trying to sell the slot to Luminosity Gaming, the Canadian organization, recently. And apparently, I guess that deal fell through. Um, it's very clear that this clown show is trying to sell all of their esports assets right now. In spite of the fact that two months ago in that company email that we discussed where Nicola Point Jameson was called the Warren Buffett of esports by Peak Six, the investment company which owns Evil Geniuses, uh, you can look at Summoning Insight or my Twitter and see the actual screenshot of this fucking hilarious email. Um, two months later, they also claimed that they were the best in the world at esports during this email. It's crazy how the best team in the world at esports could suddenly just dissolve two months later. Wacky how that could happen. You'd think that somebody might have stepped in to save them. Turns out uh, they were just doing shenanigans with their Valorant players as is well documented, not like basically holding their world champion team in contract prison. And now we have to assume that they sold for a pittance, right? Because there's no way now Riot had to offer the deal, the exit deal that they gave to Golden Guardians and to Evil Geniuses to all 10 LCS teams as per their contract with the teams. But we all know that some money probably changed hands here in the same way that the Overwatch League gave six million dollars to these teams. But I doubt it was a good deal because Riot, spoiler, didn't want the teams to take this deal. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was somewhere like $3 million, $5 million, you know, less than half of what these teams paid for the slots. And it was simply Golden Guardians just trying to get the hell out. And this is obvious because eight of the teams didn't accept the deal. And there is a way to run an LCS team profitably right now through revenue sharing, right? We know the teams make over $2 million a year in terms of revenue sharing. And you can keep your costs lower than that, especially as player, uh, player salaries continue to fall. And you guys may hate some of the teams for their low spends. But the truth is, is that Riot still hasn't come through with any of their promises of digital goods. Remember that? Remember that video from a while ago where John Needham was saying, oh, yeah, we're certainly going to make in-game items that support the teams. Remember how they had no plan? Have you seen any announcements? Been like a year at this point in time. Nothing. So Riot needs to actually create the digital revenue streams for the teams before you start criticizing them. Otherwise, why would you get rid of an asset? Most of these teams are like, nah. We're good. We'll just take the revenue share, operate, you know, at break even, and we'll just wait. Just wait to see what you do, Riot. Wait to see if you come up with your promises because we're not going to lose money anymore. So I don't know. I think this is honestly it's good for the LCS given the circumstances that are going on. It's never good to lose two teams, but I would rather have eight teams in the LCS because it gives you better format options. And frankly, I don't want to watch more LCS. So great. Fewer teams higher concentration of player talent within those teams. Sounds fine to me. There is a lot there, Dom. Uh, before I let you go off on some of those things, one thing I wanted to address that Monty just brought up was the digital goods thing. I asked that question during the uh, World's Press Conference. Myself and Ashley Kang actually asked those types of questions. And we got a optimistic wait for 2024 season start uh conversations so from both nas um john needham and the executive producer for uh league of legends jeremy so you had people on the esports side and people on the product uh, on like i guess the game production side both kind of saying hey there are a lot of talks about that and we will have something soon 
by January when season start comes out. So yes, you're right, Monty, nothing super official yet. I guess that was the most official thing that we got 11 months later. So hopefully we're looking at something here in two months. We won't be. All right. Gone. We won't be. <laughs> uh, Dom, what do you make of uh, these moves here? I mean, there's a couple things. Uh, the first thing is that I agree with Monty. I think that this will actually be good for the health of the LCS. I think that the amount of games and just like the last games of LCS were always the worst. Like everyone would tune out. It would be crazy the drop in viewership that you'd have between, you know, the the fourth and fifth games. It would be almost like 25, 30%, where if you go to like any other stream that you'll do, generally your viewership will go up for like throughout the stream. The longer you stream, the more viewers you'll have towards the end. So no one liked watching um, the bottom two teams or like the last two teams. And I know a lot of people say, well, Golden Guardians and Evil Geniuses weren't the bottom two teams. Golden Guardians was one of the worst teams ever in LCS. No offense, Degon. Like if you just look at like, you look at the the entire tenure of, of that team, they had never won a best of five until this year. They were getting swept every single time or they won like one best of five, I think. like in, They won the versus time. TSM in the TSM. upper bracket yeah. in 2019 before TSM ran it back from the lower bracket on their way three, to the 06 yeah, world yeah, yeah. wins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we first swept them. But like the point is they they barely won anything ever. They were always like fifth, sixth peak. It, it felt like for the most part, they were like not putting together competitive rosters up until this year. I think this year also, if you look at the roster, there was no reason this roster should have actually been that good. If you look at predictions, most people had them around like eighth or ninth place. Glory was coming off like playing in PCS. He didn't look good when he played in LPL. Um, in 2022, licorice was licorice super was, bad last year. Yeah. <laughs> he was super bad for like years. Licorice had been super bad. Stixa has been a perennial bottom feeder within the LCS and, and who he had good moments, but he was a very flawed player coming into this team. So this was not a team that was supposed to achieve close to the level of results that they, they did. I think they got lucky um, in terms of, of actually having a team come together and have synergy. But then if you look at like the, um, you know, just their history. They've done so many things. They've had so many rosters that were just so uninspiring. Remember the Niles thing? Like, I, I'm apparently what I've learned from doing LCS co-streams is I'm the only person that remembers the Niles iconic Ablaze Olive <laughs> roster with Newbie, Newbie, a Latin American 25-year-old support who just ran it down mercilessly, like, for the entire split. Like, he was the lowest. So when I used to do player ratings, fun fact, he was the lowest rating that I've ever given a player he was in the 50s. I gave him a 59. Um, he was, in my estimation, one of the worst players that's ever played um, in LCS. And not only was that team terrible, the whole narrative around that team was just disgusting from Golden Guardians. They talked about how they were they were uh, doing this like to develop talent. And obviously, the players weren't going to be ready, but they were going to stick with this roster for like a long period of time. And then, you know, like they would level up. They'd get acclimated to the LCS. None of that shit happened. They fucking kicked the whole team. They kicked Newbie. They kicked Iconic. They, they kicked Niles. Like, those players weren't even finishing the year anymore. It was just so disgusting how this whole thing went. So they're, they're a garbage organization. I'm happy that they're gone. Um, <laughs> Evil Geniuses is also a garbage organization with garbage people uh, running the organization. So I'm happy they're gone, too. Fuck both of those teams. Like, no one <laughs> wants those teams within the LCS. Like, get them out. Get them out and get teams in that actually want to be there. Here's here's my 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 theory, right? This is completely founded on nothing, right? This is just an idea. You know how in Valorant, they have those two promotional slots where you can like promote into um, VCT. You can yep. do this through like their yeah, challenger yeah. Uh, series. 
and those slots are the only ones that could be benched. Maybe, or they they, they can uh, like go up and down. Maybe this opens up a potential promotion relegation in the future because now they're going to have spots. Like if they want to run a 10-team league, they have two spots that wouldn't be owned by one of the teams. Yep. I think that's I think that's where they're going. Um, it, it's possible that all this gets eventually mixed in, like I said, with a total America's merger, because that's what VCT Americas does is there isn't a differentiation between Brazil, Latin America and North America in Valorant. Uh, it's just all the teams in one region together. Right. Which it, it does seem like this is an inevitable evolution of LCS. Like it has to go in this direction because there's simply no other way to save the, the viewership issue. There is no other solution to the viewership issue besides merging it either with LEC or merging it with a larger America's region. Because simply put, North America and Canada, like North America, like with Canada and the U.S. together, don't have the the audience base anymore to do this. And they don't have the young player base. So they yeah. need to figure out a different way to do things. And on a long enough timeline, I still think that that's an inevitability. Yeah, and and one of those things would be like, let's say that they don't end up merging. One of the ways they could solve the viewership issue is by having teams like Disguise promote into the LCS. Teams that have big influencers behind them are, are huge just in general. You see this around all of esports. Like, if there is a big enough content creator behind a team, people will be invested. And this is one of the ways that I, I feel like in the future they could actually gain something um, from this move. I just don't know if they're willing to... Um, use those slots as promotion relegation slots because obviously the other franchise teams would have to agree to it. I think they would because a lot of them like the Valorant system as it is. Yeah. And are part of that. That's what I'm hoping as well. Yeah. I think the only couple of worries that I have is, is what if the, the magic and the allure of this, um, I guess influencer team, not influencer team, influencer owned team the, the skill gap is too big. So you get one split of like, okay, this is it. There comes uh, disguise. They have their opportunity and they just get absolutely blasted by the LC. Like, you know, what's a middle of the pack team? Dignitas or something like that. Shopify rebellion. Yeah. They get blasted by Shopify. Oh God. That is so weird. That is so weird to say, but uh, it, look, let's, it's, let's it sounds so much SR. better than TSM. Uh, I, it's music I to it's, my ears, Degon. It's music to my ears. <laughs> yep. Well, either way, right? That that's one concern, and then the other concern is how do you how do you best fit or optimize the uh, Latin American and Brazilian team space? Right. I think I think LCS teams again they're down for trying things and open to try things. They're looking at Valorant models and taking the good learnings from Valorant that originally took it from the mistakes from uh, League, LOL Esports, and trying to apply it here to create a solution for the viewership leading. So I think a mixture of promotion relegation and then a lot of the leadership that is now in charge of the LCS came from LATAM or Brazil. So moves are trending that way, as Monty has said. So there you have it. Golden also, Guardians format, format should be better, too, by the way, because eight teams, at least in the immediate future, it is so much easier to do eight-team formats than it is ten-team formats. Because you, yeah, can I mean, do, you can do you, double best of threes, like two days, two best of threes a day. 
Yep. And you can do GSL group best of threes. So if they switch to the three split system like Europe has, you can actually just run best of threes uh, GSL groups right from the start. Just eight, eight, 16 team formats. These are the easiest ones to deal with. Uh, so it's actually very good, I think, in, in some ways. It should make the competition tighter as well as the formats better because you have a lot more options of what you can do with eight teams as opposed to ten. Well, there you have it. Golden Gardens, Evil Jesus is gone. The rest of the LCS picking up the slack, and we'll see how much in the future they were prepared for that and uh, in, in a couple of months, I guess. All right, next up, we got... Uh, a segment we haven't done in a while and i am assuming this one is monty's but you know what this almost happens every episode because we've got a lot of knuckleheads here monty <laughs> it's uh this week's this month's this year's listen up nephews and we're talking about faker's legacy as the greatest player ever monty yeah, so I think what's so crazy to me about seeing the current na uh, just narratives around Faker is that the nephews have gone completely insane with this one, which is wild to me because I'm sure a lot of these fans, you were not even watching League of Legends when he won his first world championship maybe none of his first three world championships you guys were not even watching the game at that time in fact your balls hadn't even dropped 10 years ago about the when you were what we were talking about the games that occurred uh it is first world's win okay and so the narrative that this is you should never doubt him because he's the goat player and all of the t1 fans that are just going super hard on this stuff right now you need to realign your perspective on what this means because I'm here to tell you Faker is definitively not the best player in League of Legends at the moment. And that's not an issue. It's no shot against his legacy. In fact, the events from this year actually burnished his legacy in many ways. You're just too stupid to understand why that is. All right. So I'm here. I'm going to have to patiently explain it to you and why you can still be hyped, but hyped for the right reasons instead of pretending that he is still some mechanical god. First off, I saw wild takes like, of course, he has a larger champion pool than three champions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you see that RE game? Like his Akali game was OK. But guys, factually in the finals, Faker didn't have to do anything. OK, you pick who is the worst player in the finals on T1. It was Faker or Gumiyushi. You have to pick one who was the worst. Who was it? It's, it was it was Faker. It, it was Faker. Faker. But everyone it played was well. Faker. Everyone it, and it's everyone not everyone played well. Correct. He played well. Correct. But he was the worst player on T1 in the finals. Yes. And he is surrounded by great teammates. Now, I'm going to tell you in terms of esports history, because I have been in esports for 20 years at this point in time, why Faker is amazing right now and why he is deserving of our praise. First off, it's the longevity. The fact that of his era, he is one of the only players who has remained in elite competition alongside players like Rookie and Deft among the pool of Korean players says a lot. Almost everybody else who was dominant in 2013, 2014, in the early 2015, in the early days of Faker's career has now retired or moved on to coaching, right? So it is crazy that his dominance has stayed there. However, he is not the guy he was. People telling me that, of course, he can play more than three champions because historically his champion pool has been an ocean. Guys, all of that happened years ago. It happened 
years ago. He is not the guy who is pulling out mid lane Riven for the first time in a in a Korean final. He is not that guy. He is a stable player and a macro shot caller. The most amazing part of his career was he went from an individual mechanical star to having the brain to macro young mechanical stars on his team. And we got the amazing chance, not amazing because he was injured, but we got a unique opportunity to see what T1 looks like without Faker, and it's a fucking disaster. We know that. His brain, his macro sense, his in-game leadership is crucial to the team. But there was no guarantee that Faker was going to turn from an individual star player into an in-game leader and shot caller because he wasn't that in the early stages of his career. So the fact that he's been able to do both things is truly what makes Faker so unique. And he is valuable to T1 in that way. We know that they would not have won this world championship without him. They might not have even made it to worlds without him. If they we're would being not honest. have made it. Yeah. They would if have not come have made back, it to worlds. Yeah. They, they might have terrible. not even made playoffs without him. Like it was fucking bad. Like they, they were they were two games fucking away from from being eliminated from playoffs. Like it was fucking rough out here. Yeah, exactly. So guys, use your brains. Do not tell us. Do not tell us about the old lore and why Faker is good now. We were fucking there watching it unfold. I was literally casting Faker winning his first world title. I cast every single game that Faker played during the peak of his career. I know why he's good. I know why he was good. I know why he is good now. But just don't go along with the narratives because you are so amped up on calling him the GOAT. And therefore, he cannot have any flaws. He has to be the same player he always was. No, the whole point of why he's amazing is because he made this transition that was so unlikely for a player to make. Okay, so just get it right and hype him up for the right reasons instead of the stupid reasons like telling me that he has a giant champion pool. He doesn't anymore, guys. He doesn't. It's okay. Fun fact about League of Legends. You can you could just play control mages as a mid laner. You could just do that for your whole career and it works. It always has worked. And that's what he's doing right now. Yeah. And there's a couple of things I wanted to add to this, like. I've watched a lot of uh, Faker's career. I've watched his entire career as well. I was watching his first OGN games that he ever fucking played. Like when he was playing Jace and he was killing, uh, he was killing, he was playing Nidalee into Ambition and killing Ambition when Ambition was form changing. He, he hit level six on Kha'Zix and leveled up his, his ability in the middle of the lane and just took a spear and died. I watched all those fucking games. <laughs> the thing that people were missing is that Faker's laning being good at this world was a return to form. That's the story. It's like, holy fuck, this guy actually got his laning back. He had not been a good laner in LCK. Like, I would say that that there's no argument you can make in LCK, like when you saw, for example, playoffs, regionals, LCK summer before he um, got injured. There was no argument you could make that he was a better laner than Showmaker, better laner than Chovy, better laner than BDD. Like, these guys were just objectively better laners than him. Um, and... Faker was valuable in other ways. He he was somebody who was good at facilitating um, his teammates, which is why a lot of the times he was playing playmakers throughout this team's stint as, as a group. If you go back to MSI, what was Faker playing? Obviously, people hated the fact that he was running it down on Nautilus mid, but the fact that he was playing Nautilus mid in these games shows what type of player he was and how they perceived his best use to be at that point in time. When you saw Oriana and Azir come back into the meta, if you watched LCK, you'd immediately think 
Chovy is going to be a fucking monster at this world. Like Chovy's going <laughs> to yep. first pick Oriana every single time <laughs> up. He's going to have 700 farm at 13 minutes into the game, and he's going to 1v9 every single game. That's what you would think. The fact that Faker was a better Oriana player than Chovy, and Chovy wasn't even picking Oriana, is mind-blowing. Like that is what the real story is, is that on top of him having all the strengths that he's had, he had a return to form mechanically that we hadn't seen in literally years. In maybe like five years, we haven't seen him at this level mechanically. And that's like what I think is the impressive part that people just seem to miss. They're just so, they're so stuck on like that. Oh, he's the fucking goat. Like he's always been the goat. He was the goat before this. He didn't need to win this world to become the goat. Like he was the goat by far before this even happened. You would need literally years. You need like two, three years of Showmaker dominance where he's winning multiple world championships and he's winning LCK. If Showmaker got like seven LCK championships and three world championships and an MSI in the modern era, sure, maybe Showmaker could be in that conversation. No one is 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 close to him as the GOAT. Like he is, has so many more titles than everyone. He's been around for, for longer than everyone. It's just annoying because if you try to tell the real story, people just, people get upset at you because you have to praise everything about this player in order to like, <laughs> which, which is so boring to me. Like, I don't want to go on yes. every stream and just be like, He's the best at everything. He's Jesus himself. Like, nice. Like, it's a useless conversation. The funny thing is, is that it's a much more interesting conversation now than it was earlier in his career. Because you guys missed the Faker is Jesus arc. That actually happened. There was a time where he was crazy dominant in the mid lane. Like, bonkers smashing people. 1v9ing games. Riot literally changed snowballing in League of Legends so that Faker couldn't just shit on all over everybody. They literally changed the game. They removed Deathfire Grass because of Faker. They added, they they changed vision play and they, they added support items because Faker was just nuclear bombarding supports from orbit. They you injured Pawn because Pawn was the only <laughs> player that could contend him in this whole era. Like they did everything in their power to limit Faker. Yeah. So you guys, you guys weren't there when this was happening and you're this, the takes now totally apply to that era, but you weren't there. You weren't there. And that's not the guy Faker is anymore. And you know what? It's okay. He doesn't have to be. He has excellent talent that surrounds him. And they finally managed to stop choking in finals and become the team that we thought they could be. And this, by the way, the take that either Domin or, or I hate Faker is so fucking outrageous. You think we don't enjoy watching greatness? We were just realistic about who he is right now. And to Dom's point, it has been a glow up for Faker. We talked about this in the spring. This is probably the best form in spring that we'd seen from Faker for years. And he took some downtime because of his injury and he had a good world's run. But it was different when it went in spring. The way that he was that he was in form was like he had fully bought into like I am facilitating the world. Yeah, I'm picking yep, I'm Cassidy in a terrible matchup. I'm roaming. I'm playing Gragas. Like he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was all about just like we're gonna play dominant two v two bot. I'm gonna just lead into bot side with owner, yeah. and we're gonna win every single game through bot side. Like that was who he was, and that was like that was already a return to form because before that, look, this is what people hate to hate to fucking hear. Faker is the reason they lost finals last year in 2022. Zika clapped Faker in that finals. Faker's builds were atrocious in that final. The Victor builds, do you guys remember the Victor builds? The, the fucking, what is it, Crown Lich Bane Zanyas? Like the lowest damage Victor build possible of all time? Like, do you remember what he was doing? He was running it in that world finals, but no one remembers it because you know what? Faker is, is <laughs> Faker one. This, this showed me how many people call themselves T1 fans, but don't even follow T1. That's what this world yep. sh showed me because so many people came out of the woodworks. Like 
I just see on Twitter like a bunch of like fucking it was content creators from other games. Yeah, and it was like <laughs> Faker. I've always loved him. It's like you don't even watch him. Like I, I fucking hate T1, and I watch more T1 than you. Like by far, I watch way more T1 than you. Like who the fuck? Like, and then you're celebrating like the, like you won worlds. Like come on, dude, what dude, the fuck I, are we doing? His narrative is very exciting, and I think that especially you know people from other games recognize how rare of a gem faker is and how valuable he is and how extraordinary his career is but i do get tilted when i look at people from like counter-strike talking on twitter being like oh wow faker is just amazing i'm like you took the wrong message from this finals my friend <laughs> yeah. well, here, like faker's great thing, but you know can we can we talk about owner and zayas a little bit please yeah <laughs> yeah okay so number one Owner is the MVP of the tournament. Owner was the best player at this tournament. He was fucking insane almost every game. Owner got so... It's it's so annoying watching the broadcast because everyone was just sucking Faker's dick the whole time. And I'm like, dude, what, is, what does Owner need to do? What does he actually need to do? What does a jungler need to do to escape the oppression of the man in this society? That's what I want to fucking know. Owner was so fucking good the entire time. He won me nice. Faker played bad. In, Faker had a bad game one in this finals. Yeah, owner yeah. makes the owner and fucking Zeus made the fucking play. Owner has the insane kick on mid, which allowed them to then have, have Zeus go in on the dragon, get the three man. Like that was the deter that was the turning point of that fucking game. Without that happening, they just lose. Figure missed every charm. He fucking sucked in that RE oh game. Oh my god, then, dude. Yeah. He missed most and, of his Everfrosts too. Dude, and then <laughs> owner just get what does owner need to do, bro? What does he actually need to do to get credit? We didn't even mention him in the broadcast. Like I, I, Faker is obviously popular. I get it. Whatever. But like, let's, let's talk about the real story at some point. How about 15? How about we do 45 minutes of sucking Faker's cock? We all just gather around. <laughs> we take turns sucking his cock for 45 minutes. And then the last 15 minutes, oh we God. spend talking about owner and Zeus. How about that? Is that a good compromise? Yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought Zayas did deserve to get MVP of the finals, but overall MVP of the tournament, I think, owner. Owner really was good throughout the entire thing. And we, we got to see a lot of versatility as well. And honestly, his versatility was part of their draft strategy, right? Saving the the pick in R5 for jungle allowed him to kind of play the lease in into the Tom Kench, which, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it later. But the drafting was pretty significantly in T1's advantage. And they, they did a very good job of preparing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he delivered when he was given those opportunities. And so did Zayas, who was given a lot of counter picks, right? They were the ones giving the advantages and they really ran with them in the finals. And yeah, Faker was targeted in terms of his champion pool. But frankly, Faker was lucky. Has there ever been a player to get to a world finals only playing three champions before? I, I do not think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh... That's a very good segue to close this out of Listen Up Nephews and what specifically Faker's legacy is as the greatest player in the history of League of Legends into uh, my Degon's Fact of the Week sponsored by nobody. I've got two for you, and they're both Faker facts. Uh, one, this is the not the first time. It was touted as uh, one of the first times, such a small champion pool that Faker's played, but not the first time that he has played five champions at the world championship. Do you remember which world championship Faker only played five champions? I believe that he's okay. So I said three coming into the world finals. Correct. But that's yeah. the unique part. That's, that's the unique, the unique part. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just saying there was five, another time where Faker only played five I mean, champions at a world championship. I mean, I would guess like 2015 because they played a few amount of games. 
It might have been last year, honestly. What did he play last year? Victor, Ari. Victor, did, he played Silas, right? Silas. Silas he probably Arcali. played Silas Akali. Azir, probably. Azir. He got an Azir game. I'm going to go with last year. I think it was. No, he played. Yeah, he played Rise as well. Yeah. All right. Are we ready? Answers in last year in 2015. Yeah. Yep. I don't know how Dom. No, I don't know how Dom does this every fucking time in 2015. Dude. <laughs> what were the champions? Well, it was well, Rise again in 2015. <laughs> I mean, the, the easiest way to do it is you just look at like that. So that I didn't know, but the year had that was the fewest games that he's played at a world championship that he's won. He played like 16 games. I think there were 15 and one. Yep. So yeah, on, no, at the world championship, 12 games. 12 games, five champions. Rise Lulu. That was the Lulu. You only played 12? No, yeah, you have to Kassadin, play. Azir, Olaf. No, you can't. Wait, you have to play 15 have games to win Worlds. You, have you to play, play six in groups and you play nine minimum in bracket. All right. Leaguepedia letting me down. All right. Well, <laughs> that's okay. The other one that I oh, feel Easy more confident. Oh, Easy played games. That's why. Oh, that's, that's what it was. Really? Why? Yeah, Wait, yeah, did, yeah, Easy, yeah. did Easy Hoon actually play a 2015 World? Yes. Oh, he played versus yeah, yes, Azir skin. He played. He played versus. Uh, like That's kind of cheating though, because he right? didn't play the whole worlds. <laughs> yeah. He, oh, he didn't. Didn't Easy Hoon play against AHQ or some shit? He yeah, did. He, he did. But that's that's why Faker though. only had twelve games. So that okay. was actually the easiest way: is the number of games you're right, Dom, but also the ah, fact that Easy Hoon was playing some of those games. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then on the flip side, since we were talking about his to, wide to be fair, goal. to be fair, he had uh, his percentage of unique champions per game was higher in 2015 than it was at this world's right because he just he Correct. played 12 games yeah. as opposed to how fucking look, think about this though how much easier was worlds back in 2015 if you just look at the the, the teams that are in it right like just look at the teams and oh, because dog. you got to remember there was only there was only three lck and three lpl right and lpl wasn't even as good back then so you look at the bracket and it's like skt versus ahq OG versus Flash Wolves. SKT beats HQ. Then they have a semifinal versus OG versus Origin. They beat Origin and then they play Ku in the finals. There's like one match that they play the entire time. In their group, they have H2K. <laughs> like they have H2K. And this was like the H2K that was double third. This was like the Ryu H2K. Um, double third, they qualified in. Like they were never even a good team in Europe, really. They were never like a top tier team in Europe. Well, they were never as good as, as, as Origin and Fnatic, right? Like whatever. Um, Sorry, and then Oda. you have Bangkok. Uh, you have Bangkok Titans from from uh, from from uh, the C region because that was like old PCS. Or wait, that wasn't even PCS. That was yeah, it's GPL. Oh my god, look at how easy it is. Think about the teams. Okay, so the teams that are eliminated, you have TSM, IG, Cloud Nine, H Two K, Bangkok Titans, Pain Gaming, uh, Counter Logic Gaming, and then you also have HQ and Flash Wolves that went on. Like the 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 competition was so much easier in in uh 2015 at worlds because of the limit the the limiting of the slots pain gaming i mean you had the powerhouse every year coming back on in brtt man like that that was a pretty good <laughs> god damn it clg um <laughs> yeah all right the other question that i had was let's go to the other side of it we're talking about champion ocean faker what year did he play the most champions? And um, what year did he play the most champions? And how many champions was it? Uh, it might have actually been 2015, weirdly. 
what? Wait, no, 2015 was the minimum. Oh, oh, at Worlds, just at Worlds, at Worlds, at Worlds, at Worlds. Sorry, no, 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 no. Yeah, I thought you were talking about because I'm pretty sure if we were talking about the whole year, it might have actually been 2015 for him because I'm gonna go. 2014 was kind of most of the year outside of winter. He his team was bad, and 2013 he didn't play the whole year. So I think probably he played the most champions as a whole in 2015. But as for Worlds, yeah, as for Worlds, what year would that be? I think it was probably 2017. I was thinking maybe 2019 because 2019, I remember him playing Kiana and stuff like towards the end of the tournament. Yeah, there were several years where he played nine champions, but in 2019, (laughs) he played 10 champions in 14 games. It was Kiana, Nico, Azir, Twisted Fate, Lissandra, LeBlanc, Camille, uh, God, I forgot Camille. Akali, Trist, uh, Tristana, and Rise. Damn. So uh, he was just, again, this is the champion ocean figure from four years ago. Bro. Four years ago. Bro, um, how many of these new, these fake faker fans on social media <laughs> would have been able to get those answers? Really? How many? Zero. How many? Zero. <laughs> literally zero none of them even watch those fucking tournaments i mean as far as i can tell they don't watch fake they've never watched faker so <laughs> <laughs> yeah 2017 he played uh nine champions over 19 games so i think some unique ones were fizz fizz he played twice and that was his i'm actually really surprised played- it was 2019 Galio. as opposed to 2017 just because they played a lot more games in 2017 yeah, yeah. They played a ton more games yeah, 2019. I mean, I just remember 2019 was that was that Worlds where like it felt like didn't he? Play, it felt like he was playing a new champion every game in like semifinals. Yeah, he was he was flexing the champ pool pretty hard there. So, anyways, those were some of our fun faker facts from Worlds. Again, minimum champs, maximum maximum champs, uh, and the champ pools that went along with it. Thank you for playing along with Degon's Fact of the Week. If you had it right, let us know in the comments below, over at our YouTube channel, and wherever you may watch. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe already. Take a second, right? This is the call to action part of the show where you ignore it. Nope, stop. Actually subscribe. Like this video. Write the comment. We'll wait. And maybe reply. All right. Next up, we have our... uh, it's time for the recap. Yes, we've talked about some drama. We've talked about Faker himself. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of the matchup with our friends over by Trolley. It's time for Devoured as Weibo got eaten up by T1 in the grand finals. This is a reminder that this episode of Power Spike is brought to you by Trolley Sour Bright Crawlers and Devoured is brought to you by Trolley Sour Bright Crawlers. They want nothing more than for you to chew their delicious sour heads and bodies into pieces. Who are you to say no to them? Just like, uh, you know, like, who are you to say no to ending T1 story without a championship? Yeah, also, just as a shout out, I want to thank Trolley a lot for sponsoring Power Spike. Dom Stream, 
Uh, Degon's interviews. It's been great working with them. And thank you guys also to all of you who have been posting on our comments or on social media uh, talking about it. Uh, they do see all of that. Uh, and we've, we've all been very happy and we're hoping to get them back next year. So we love Trolley. We love the Sour Bright Crawlers. They have been awesome. And big thank you to you guys for showing your appreciation because Last Free Nation, when you guys support our sponsors, it is the best way to support us. And you guys have been really killing it. So thanks a lot. It's been It's been great. Yeah, it's been a pretty great partnership. Just in case you wanted to know, though, my favorite flavor is very berry. I just, you know, we always got to hash that one out. I love berry. <laughs> All right. Uh, 3-0 with the uh, first blood turning the baseball stadium at the Gocheck Sky Dome into a library. And then basically a... Uh, it just felt inevitable. I know there. I know that there was a lot that happened there. But going back to all the matches here, Dom, where do you want to start with this series in, in you know, whether it's champ pool, the strategy of finally someone banning out Faker's three champions, and it felt like T1's prepared for it, Elise um, in getting pulled out, the Yone top, like there were there was a lot of things in game one. Yeah, I want to start with uh, the draft from T1. So I think that the thing that, that was so interesting about T1 throughout the tournament is because they were so dominant at like the the meta of counterpicking support bottling, they were so good at playing like Vera support and Ash support and Caitlyn support, Kalista support, all this stuff, Twitch support. They played so many AD carry supports throughout the tournament, um, or sorry, throughout uh, spring, and they were just the best team in the world at that meta. They actually didn't play that much of those champions in finals or in in their run in general. Um, and they got so much credit for that. And the thing that was actually so surprising was that they were able to blind pick their bot lane so frequently and end up winning. They didn't use counter pick for their bot lane. That was a strategy that they had before, but they blind picked their bot lane. And what that did was it gave Zeus counter pick, which was actually really big versus the shy and Zeus just smashed his matchup pretty much every single time that they played. So I think that that was like the most interesting part of it for me. I think though that, they they correctly identified that Crisp had only been able to play Renata Glask well throughout Worlds. So in a way, it didn't matter so much if they were blind picking their bot lane because Crisp had looked really weak on a variety of other champions. And they had the the you know the confidence going in that this was going to be an effective strategy for them. I also think they correctly identified that if they're just going to get red side, and they got red side all three games for reasons I can't possibly understand. Like the way Weibo was winning was through. If we look at the the semifinal matchup with Bill, Billy Billy, was a lot of it was through the shy counterpicking top lane, and so by talking about Dom's identification of the strategy by saving the counter pick for Zayas, they had an opportunity to shut down one of the only win conditions that Weibo had. And it was really a challenge, I think for the bot lane to fucking do something. Right. And they didn't, I mean, the, the bard pick was just by the time we got to game three, picking the bard blind in that situation is just fucking egregious. Like it, the bard functions against low mobility carry champions. This is how we saw uh, DRX pick it in game five of last year in the world finals. This is how we've seen Caria play it so far at this world championship. And if you're going to select it into Rakan Zaya before they even pick mid top and jungle, you're probably going to have some issues. But I was just deeply confused by this strategy of not enabling the shy who had been their best player in the playoff bracket up until this point, and then 
doing things like blind picking Aatrox when you know the answer is going to be the Yone. You know it. That was the answer that we saw versus JDG. So the level of confidence that they had was just kind of wacky, right? It was just kind of wacky. Like, you're picking Tom Kench when they haven't picked their jungler yet. Owner is an 85% win rate Lee Sin player. It's not like Lee Sin has been out of the meta. He has been picked. Like you're giving over the Renata Glask when Caria, that's been one of his best champions, and it's the only champion your own support can play. Now, what what are they doing? It it felt that it felt like Weibo lost this match before it even started. Like their prep seemed really terrible, and they showed almost no spark in their play in the finals. It's like they came to lose. It was very dis- depressing. Yeah, I mean the shy ran it down so fucking hard. Like I felt I felt like Weiwei in game one, like he was actually playing pretty well. Yeah, he, he, was. he was making some some really good plays. And I thought Jahu actually came to play in the final as well. Like his laning was significantly better than it had been, you know, at other points without the tor- throughout the tournament. Like this wasn't Faker dominating Jahu in lane. I know everyone wants to make it about Faker versus Shahu because that was like the matchup to watch. By the way, that... in what world is that the featured matchup? First off, Xiaohu had been underperforming for all of Worlds. Faker was yep. not the best player on his team throughout Worlds. The, the actual featured matchup should have been the Shy and Zayas in top lane because the Shy was the win condition for Weibo in this well, final. The Shy had been surfing. The Shy had a really good uh, like, Worlds besides yeah. for finals. And the, fe- the featured matchup has to be talking about how Zayus is good, except when he gets in finals and then he fucking loses to Kingen. You know what I mean? Like, that oh. is the featured matchup. That is it. And and pretending it's the Faker and Xiaohu is so crazy disingenuous. It really pissed me off. Yeah, I mean, it's just because of narratives, right? Like, last time they played in a, in a best of five final, like, Xiaohu won. The time that they played the best of five um, before that at Worlds last year, Faker Faker just outplayed him. I mean, it just came down to the fact that like those guys are the most famous players on on their respective teams. Well, I mean, I guess the Shy could maybe be more famous than than Jahu. It depends on like you know where you go, but sure. I mean, Jahu is the most storied Chinese mid laner in the LPL, and Faker is the most storied mid laner of all time. Yeah, but it's, it was uh, all narrative driven, and I think that it just it, I think it kind of ended up taking away from the the matches because. It felt like people almost viewed it as like a surprise that like Zeus and owner were the best players on the team. It's like, I felt like they had been the best players on the team at this world. Well, that's because all the people who didn't watch the tournament up to that point, who just tuned into the finals, this is the message they're being given Dom, which is why you have to be so careful with these selections because you're biased in terms of if you've been watching or been like participating in worlds up to that point, if you're in production or, or something like that, because you think that people have all the context, but they don't. So when they just show up and they see Xiaohu versus Faker is the, the marquee matchup, they're going to think that both of these guys were having an amazing tournament and Faker had a good tournament, but Xiaohu was like massively underperforming. Right. Yeah, so, compared to his level, like he was the best player on the team by far in LPL. Like he's the reason they got to worlds. And then when he showed up, he was, he was the worst player on the team. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. Like, I I think that you get lost sometimes when you don't think about that, there's going to be a bunch of fresh eyes and the way that the history will be written after that point within people's minds is different than you think it will be because this is their one introduction. And I really think it was a miss to not talk about more about the shy and Zayas's matchup because ultimately 
the the draft strategies that both teams were implementing led to Zayas becoming the MVP of the finals, and it led to a very easy win, I think, for T1 because the shy was not empowered whatsoever, as well as the shy just straight up having a, a fucking shit day, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 it, I was go gonna say it's it's really hard to to deal with the problem of T1 on this patch because you're so scared of blind picking your bot lane into them that it feels like you have to go blue side. But then if you end up going blue side, then your top lane gets counterpicked. So they're getting a fucking counterpick yep. no matter what. And the, the difference is that um, the reason why I, I think that Weibo made this decision is because a lot of the pairings are kind of like champion pairings together. It's not as easy of just getting like as getting like counterpick support. There's very niche scenarios where uh, T1 was able to use the counterpick support. Like, for example, when they drafted Senna and then they ended up going like Nila on five where everyone thought Tom Kench was coming. Right now, it feels like a lot of the combos were like, you know, Renata, like Zaya Rakan, Renata Kalista, Caitlyn Lux, Tom Kench, Senna. Like, a lot of the combos are two champions, so you can pick them together. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, they just ended up getting counterpicked every game. They probably should have just went red on game three, but it seemed like they thought that blue was the best side. And in the JDG series, JDG ended up going red game one and they got smashed on red and then blue side was prio up until then. Yeah. And I do think that this was just an amazing drafting job by T1 as well. Um, you know, they were very fluid in terms of who they were giving priority. They clearly changed the priority to counterpicking top lane within this series, which I think is absolutely the right call. Um, they had, a variety of different possible punishes that they were capable of exploiting. Like, you know, when you see the blind Aatrox, okay, then we pick Yone. Okay, second round of bans. Now we have to ban Sejuani from owner, right? Which means that he has R5 jungle pick. They haven't picked it up yet. So when you pick Tom Kench, like, they have an opportunity before they see what your support is. They can pick Vi. They can pick Poppy. They can pick Lee Sin. So there's still a lot of options depending on how they see you rounding out their draft, uh, your draft if you're Weibo. And so when they pick the Tom Kench, all of a sudden the Lee Sin becomes really high priority because you can control the Tom Kench in that situation. It's an excellent like team fighting counterpick, right? And it also is just happens to be one of owner's best champions. But you kind of get boxed into a corner because you want to ban the Rel because owner's been amazing on this champion. And you need to ban the Sejuani because the Shy is going to get completely blasted in top lane if there's the Yone Sejuani combo. And so it feels like it felt like Weibo was constantly trying to do damage control on what was going on, but the answer was always there for T1, right? It's like you ban Silas and you first pick Maokai, but then by the time we get uh, we get to the next game in the series, you're like, oh, shit, like we can't ban the Silas anymore, but then we're going to pick Maokai. Now they get Silas into the Maokai. Now he's got better Maokai old. And there was always something. T1 was super prepared for this draft, and it was really beautiful to see from them. Yeah, and you it's also like the Ash ban coming in. Like, so because Carrie is so good on Ash, they draw the Ash ban, but Ash is the counter into Callista Renata. So then when you move the Ash, yep. then you can get Callista Nada R1, R2, and there's no Ash counterpick. There's nothing that you can do. Yep. Like, then you'd have to play one of these, like, funky lanes. Like, maybe you you go something like, uh you know, like a, a, a Senna plus Senna plus X, or you go, like, Bard Jin or something like that, and you try to move around the map. Like, there's there's options that you have, but nothing is going to dominate as hard. And I think that they just realized that they had the better bot lane. Um, I mean, for, for my money, I think Weibo just has the worst bot lane um, from LPL at this World Championship. I mean, to be honest, I think Weibo realistically should have just been the worst team like they overperformed at <laughs> this world championship they were the worst lpl team by far coming into the tournament um yep. but they have a much worse bot lane than t1 
And they and the thing is also, if you think about like when they were strong throughout the year, probably the best lanes I saw them play were like Heimerdinger lanes early in the season uh, on from uh, from from Crisp. Like he, he really had a bad year in terms of his average level of play. If you look at how he played, for example, in 2021, 2022, this guy is actually like he was a beast. It just never felt like he hit that I mean, form again. He, some, so. of, some of his Nami games from very early in spring were quite good. Um, but. Yeah, I agree. Overall, I mean, his Heimerdinger game at Worlds was a fucking was dumpster horrible, fire. But it was also a horrible <laughs> time to pick Heimerdinger. Like, Heimerdinger sure. is just not good. I mean, into like half the champions that were being picked at the end here. Yeah. Um, well, again, do you, one of the other questions I think hindsight could be 2020 on the decision to ban out Faker and spend those extra bans there. Do you feel like that being the strategy going in for Danny and the rest of Weibo costs them? Like the it cost them, I guess, the draft capital that put no. them so far behind Monty. No, it's it's unwinnable. It's unwinnable. Yeah, I, I actually think it's just honestly. doomed. <laughs> yeah, it, there's too many. There's too much versatility, like you saw, and you know we got to see the Gwen. I mean, they try. They tried everything, right? They tried to ban out the Yone and blind pick the Aatrox. I, I do think that I would have liked. I would have liked to have seen one red side game to see what the shy could do with a counter pick, because I think that was honestly Weibo's best chance of winning this series. Yeah, even if they obviously disagree with that premise, um, but trying to if you let fake so first off, you can't let him have Oriana. Period. That's not acceptable. Oriana was too good at this final, and Faker was too dominant on it. Second off, okay, so you let him have the Azir. Now, they first picked the Azir on blue side in, in the third game of the series. Uh, Weibo did to keep it away from him. But Faker has also been doing very well in lane and Azir that a lot of matchups that uh, people have been falling behind in, like we talked about with the Azir into Oriana matchup that he was surviving in. And then you give him playmaking agency. And one of the things, I mean, just think about to his hero play in the JDG series on the Azir, right? Um, it, it's a comfort pick for him. He's not going to get dumpstered in lane, and then he is going to be able to have significant playmaking ability in the mid and late game. Uh, so don't let him have that, right? Because, again, Zhao Hu didn't look good. So do you want Faker on a strong champion in that matchup, or do you want him on a champion where at least Zhao Hu is going to be able to kind of go even with him in the laning phase and uh, you know, hopefully do something late? There wasn't a good answer. There wasn't a good answer. It's yeah. just pound for pound. T1 had so many advantages basically at every position. And the one hope of this tournament was the shy. But also, as anybody who actually watches the LPL knows, the shy is not a consistent player. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, <laughs> <It's bad>. no. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like, and you, you, we got to see the duality of the shy. And everybody who watches LPL should have been super nervous about this finals because the shy had been too good. And that meant that the bad shy game was coming. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was, it's written in as fate, right? That the shy is going to come back and in at some point. You just hope he gets the int out early. He didn't get the int out early. He he waited. He held the int in until the very end of Worlds, and then all the ints just came spilling out into the games. What was it? One in one in fourteen, Dom. I one think in was sixteen. The, I, I believe one in sixteen. Oh, yeah. Uh, tough he time. Was for the truly disgusting. He was truly yeah. disgusting in this final. He truly did get devoured by Zeus and the rest of T1. Again, uh, thank you to our friends over at Trolley Sour Bright Crawlers uh, for making the show and this segment happen. Get your tongue-twisting, mind-warping sour thrills only at Trolley.com or literally anywhere around the world. Thank you, Trolley. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, 
I guess while we're still on the topic, what do you think opening ceremony? Opening ceremony, what did you think from back home? Because I was in the stadium, got to see it, got to feel it, I have my thoughts, but what did you think? Just quickly on the opening ceremony. I I was not a fan of it. I think there was something off with the audio um, in the first oh. couple performances. Like, it, there was something that was off with the audio that just took away from it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I... Uh, I feel like these performances, to be honest, maybe I'm just like, I'm just not the target audience for it because these performances at the beginning of, um, you know, like finals of whatever, like LEC does the same thing. All these musical performances, they never hit for me. I never see a, like a live musical performance. I never want a live musical performance when I'm getting into a fucking world championship. Like I want, I want some hype, like a good fucking, like, you know, a good walkout and let's get into the games and play it. Like, I don't need the musical performance. I don't know. It's just not for me. Monty. I didn't watch it. Okay, there you go. Well, <laughs> because because I here's, here's why here's why I didn't watch it before we get into D God's opinion about liking it a lot. I think K-pop is stupid and bad music. I hate the, aug uh, the augmented reality that they put into these things. I think League of Legends lore is fucking terrible. So there's actually nothing for me to like about all of this. So instead of watching that opening ceremony. We had some guests over while we were watching Worlds. I was making carnitas and pico de gallo and guacamole, and other people were watching it because I didn't give two shits. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Oh, that's that's know. my type of take. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. My take is gonna. You know, fly here. <laughs> You're allowed but to like it. I'm just telling you why I I'll don't like it. <laughs> uh, the so this was the K-pop. Male band, right? Hearthsteel coming out. The, I will say, when they <laughs> did the God. press conference, F fuck these wait, fake ass wait. pop bands. Fuck these fake wait. ass pop bands. They're just a bad version of gorillas. Like, get out. It's get, come on. I can't. I can't handle like Seraphine's like Twitter account stupidity. That and then we're too old for this shit. Now they got. Now they got. Now they got a fucking fake boy band with like. I don't know. I watched the music video and Aphelios is just I like can't. standing there being mute in a mask. And there's I, I can't even watch it because <laughs> there's the, the actions moving too quickly. Although I will say I thought the Heart Steel song was way better than any of the KDA songs. It, it's still not good, but I did enjoy it more. Uh, villain from KDA is my favorite. The performance that the the singers put on in the stadium was very good. Uh, during the press conference, I think people were like, okay, we'll see, you know, we, the song's nice or whatever. The performance itself was very good. I think when, uh, the singer for rise came out, rise is the hype world song for me. Dude's blown out his fucking larynx to hit the high notes. <laughs> like that's exciting. Uh, so, but when he came out and sang it, it was really good. And then to kind of see, cause in the stadium, you don't see the augmented reality, so to kind of see like when like a production person would run on and put this prop in the actor's hands like that was like getting to see that part was really cool and then uh finally new jeans is is just they're they're very good everyone's just perfectly in sync every time and they weren't using a backing track which was I feel awesome. so awkward watching K-pop I don't know there's something about it, it that just like it it, so it like unsettles me it unsettles no me. There's it's something about it. It's that uncanny just like, valley with people, dude. Yes. 
Yes, no. there's the Uncanny Valley with people. They all have a ton of plastic surgery done. They have like been made in labs to look this way. Uh, they, they, you know, they get told they get marketed in a very specific way. It is nothing about the actual artistry of the individuals themselves. OK, well, if they you feel like K-pop with bubble pop. That should have been the final K-pop song. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Soon well, up. if you feel like these uh, these boomers have terrible takes, join me in the comments below on our video and uh, let them know that. Also, fucking K-pop stands. It's like it's so weird. The whole fucking <laughs> so K-pop. Look, I'm somebody who just in general hates really popular teams, like in fan bases. Like I hate the K-pop stands. I hate the fucking BTS stands. I hate T1 stands. I hate the fucking Patriots fans when I watch like the NFL. I, I fucking hate Cowboys fans. Like, I just hate popular fan bases. I feel like the the amount of mental illness you get from these fan bases is way off the charts. So like it just makes me wish that these things didn't exist. <laughs> right. Again, to be fair, Dom does uh, walk his talk as a Miami fan. So you know, yep. there you go. Yep. Um, there was oh shit, someone brought oh. The openings. Did you watch the opening ceremony video or like the teaser? The teaser. Yeah, I video? thought the teaser was very good. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Teaser, I, I like the teaser. I like the, the, the one I with the, the teasers the, throughout. The, yeah, the teasers were all really good. I thought. Yeah. Yes. Same. Same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Castle Jun just makes it hype. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, 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 here, here's here's the crazy thing about me, guys. I actually just love esports. I love hearing those player narratives. I love hearing the player oh. interviews. I love hearing the player quotes, even though I know that somebody is writing fake or saying all roads lead to me. We don't want the, the players coming up with their own quotes, guys. We want professional writers to do that because they're going to yep. make it much more hype. I thought all of that was excellent. And I'm so weird, guys. I, I like esports in my esports to have esports content that gets me hyped up for esports. I don't need yeah, I don't need K-pop to get <laughs> exactly. me hyped up for esports. Exactly. It's so I need, weird to me that that's I became need, the standard. I need Faker saying all roads leads to me. That's what does it for me, guys. I need trash talk videos. I want actually players to get me hyped up for the matches. I want yes. casters to do analysis and content that has to do with esports. It's crazy to be an esports fan who actually loves esports because you guys are just like, you're just K-pop fans that want K-pop in like in a video game. Like I don't, I don't understand that to me. That yeah, makes no it's fucking so sense. Weird. It's so, it's so strange. Like I don't know. Like I, I want to see like, like fucking montages of the best plays these players have made right before they go into like into battle against each other. That's what, what I want to see. Why wasn't there more of a long form piece of content about Faker's World Championships and his legacy? Like, shouldn't we have seen that? before the world finals like the hype you want is here's 10 years of faker's career this is his 10th anniversary since his first world championship win here's who he is as a player and let's hype the ever-loving shit out of him i would 10x uh, i would 100x a thousand x have that rather than you know korean girl teens jumping around on a stage just saying yeah i i feel weird watching it man i feel weird watching it like i feel like i shouldn't be watching it when i'm watching it like that's that's how i feel it's transgressive like, yeah yeah it, feel, it feels it feels like i shouldn't be like allowed to watch it or some shit like i don't know it's weird it just, to me. I it don't just like post-modernity it. now dom Every, everything is manufactured they're just they're just you yeah. know a, a, a capitalistic package for you to watch shimmying around on a stage 
Yeah, All it's right. not for me. Well, without without New Jeans being there, there would be no carry a pop off on the way to the finals. That was that was a pretty good esports in my esports with my esports narrative there that that came through. But yes, shout outs to the uh, teasers team for making great cuts throughout they the year. Uh, yeah, it was it was very fun to watch them there. Oh, last last promise last. Give me your best. Okay, so Faker all roads lead to me. Give me your best. And Dom, you could just be yourself here. Your best pro player, what they would say in that moment. Your best pro player line going into the finals. What would it be? Because that's why we need writers to tell them what to say. Best pro player line going into the finals? Yeah, if they're gonna if they're gonna make it up, like what what do you think a pro player would I say? Just want, be like, I want the shy to just stand on the stage and tell Zeus to just suck his cock. Like that's what I, I want him to say. <laughs> suck my dick, Zeus, and then just cut into the fucking game. That's what I want. <laughs> That is cursing is one thing Tell that would that happen. Shit would not be hype. Tell me that shit would just not be insanely <laughs> exactly. hype. It just yeah. Just says fuck you, Zeus. By fuck the way, this, you. And then he this, just gets into the game. This I love. I love all the takes about you know Faker being respectful and everybody saying, "Oh, we're so lucky to have Faker as our goat." I'm like, no, we're not. Think about Faker trash talking. It'd be a million times better if Faker was disrespectful. The level of hype would be two x what it is right mm -hmm. now guys like if he was if he was actually just like just slamming people or roasting them you would fucking love it you don't want fake nobody actually yeah. wants faker to be respectful guys you no, you're like I, oh it's I such like a feel-good story but you want you want polarizing faker polarizing faker would get even more viewership okay think about I, conor mcgregor just saying yeah I think about Demon One. I liked watching Demon, Demon One pop one. off Holy after. Shit. Yeah, that shit hyped me up. I was like, I don't even like this game, but I like that this little motherfucker is talking his shit. Like, I, I don't know, <laughs> dude. Maybe I'm just an esports purist or something. I have no fucking idea. But like this, like I'm just so over the musical performances. It's always so weird too because I'm co-streaming and I can't say anything like negative about. It. So I'm just sitting there quietly, like not moving. Like I just sit there quietly for like ten minutes, and I'm like, all right draft let's go guys like it's just right, so weird draft. for me man like it's just so awkward for me man watching right, like right, 14 right. year old korean girls like dancing on stage like it's just like it's so uncomfortable for me man i'm just like all right guys let's get into the fucking esports like it's us all right uh we have we, that's we right have it's like what i said on, on summoning now. insight i love watching korean teenagers but only when they're playing video games <laughs> exactly that's exactly how i feel dude i love watching asian teenagers only playing video games all right Bro. let's time to all right well with that that ends 2023 on in a bang that leads us to our next segment high key low key no key it's the excitement for our roster moves for 2024 let's get out of this and into that uh. Okay, high key, low key, no key. Let's start with the worst moves. Who provides no key excitement here for you, Dom, in 2024 as moves have been announced across the world? Uh, roster slots are becoming more scarce, especially for supports in Europe and obviously in the LCS because teams are dissolving. Uh, so name me one move that I guess was titled as big that you're not excited for at all. One move. Hmm. What is a move that I saw that I was just not hyped at all for? I mean, there's there's just the moves that I in general hate. Like I like the crowny getting benched for ice one. Like how how is this a thing? Like you're playing in fucking Polish league. You didn't even win Polish league. 
and then you're just like making it to like lec randomly and i'll tell you i'll tell you guys what actually happened here bds didn't want ice as their number one pick they wanted Garzi. And then when Garzi went to Vitality, they're like, fuck, we need somebody. We already kicked Crownies. So then they just had to scrounge up. They're like, are you Korean and you're from an ERL? Nice. He's the next Noah, guys. He's the next. He's Korean. He was in the same team. He's in Zero Tenacity. Put him on the fucking squad. Like, I'm so fucking done with these, like, these Korean imports like Peach, man. Peach played pretty well in, in summer at points. I'm just so done with like the career, like the chases, the peaches, the ices, mask castle. Like, like these guys are not going to commit to your region for a long period of time. So you're getting a mercenary and then you're not even getting like a top tier player. You're getting just a player that one of your own European players could be better than could be better than soon too. could be better than in like one split could be better than right now. I feel like there's talent out there and it's just not being utilized. Monty. Give me, give me one. Even though Dom Come just on. spewed out like six, <laughs> it's got to be, it's got to be the new Mad Lions roster, right? The most cynical nationalism Spanish bait of all time, kicking back out of the team that he has helped create for years, right after he had a kid, so that you could get some very questionable you know, local region players when, you know, you, you may not like bad lines guys, but objectively they've been one of the better teams in Europe for the last several years. They've won titles. They've consistently made international events. And this is what we get at the end of the day. It feels incredibly bad. And now I think one of the worst parts is now El Yoya, a good player who should be on a good team is now just trapped with a bunch of bads. And so now his potential <laughs> well, gets he, wasted. He's... Yeah, but he's the one that wanted this. So, yeah, yeah, to, like, to allegedly, be fair, he did. He is the warden of the prison. Uh, but <laughs> nope. it it is it is just wild uh, that this is going to be the result because the the level of LEC, which wasn't good because a lot of the XL Vitality Super Teams failed this year, is probably going to be even worse at this point in time. And it's not because there aren't a, a lot of good players to Dom's point about Crowny. It's because good players like Trimby and Crowny are getting passed up so that we can have like Spanish teams for no reason, for no reason, because they see Carmine Corp and they're like, we can do that. You can't guys. It's, it's, it's actually harder than that. It's harder to do than that. Um, so I, I'm very down on LEC in general right now. And it just feels really cynical the way that they're building these rosters as some sort of nationalistic fan grab. Yeah. I, I, I do really like that. You just called all of Phil Yoya's teammates bads. <laughs> That's like, I mean, they might look, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've, I've watched maybe like seven matches of them throughout the year, like eight, maybe, maybe more than that. Maybe, maybe closer to like 12 or 13 actually, because I did do EU masters in spring and I did EU masters like, and the majority of this team, if people don't know, is that Movistar Riders team. Uh, when I watched that team play, I thought their best players were Alvaro and their joke and their jungler, their jungler Isma, I thought was actually pretty fucking good. And he's not there anymore. I was really not impressed by Supa. Every time that I watched Supa, every, people hyped him up to me so fucking much. And I just remember some of the bad shit he did. It just burned into my memory. There was a game that he played. It was game five versus K-Corp um, in finals. He didn't level his ultimate on Zarya until level eight. He just misclicked his ultimate. Like, he didn't level it up twice, man. Like It's so hard for me to watch that shit and like be like, no, he's still really good. I know he hit rank one in solo queue. He just doesn't, he just doesn't seem like, he doesn't have that energy where I'm looking at him, I'm like, ooh, this guy's a fucking beast when I watch um, ERLs. Their jungler, 
uh, or sorry, their mid laner. I don't know, man. He's also somebody who's like kind of uninspiring. He seems limited um, in general. So I just look at the team and it's like, if these guys were not super impressive in in uh, like EU Masters, for example, I mean, even though they made finals, I don't think these guys were like dominant. How are they going to win with those carries later on? Like, how are they going to beat the top teams with those carries? Because I think that their their jungler and their support are going to be good. I think Alvaro and Yoya are two really good players. I just don't believe in the carries to actually be able to use whatever leads they get to win the games. Uh, I think for me, then it, it's got to be revenge, not finding a home. I think that's such a fucking shame um, after again. And I told him straight up in the interviews, I was like, hey, man, you you proved me wrong. I definitely thought you were a product of just being on a team that didn't have a win condition except you. And then his year over at EG with all the, you know, turnover over at jungle, uh, you know, a new bot lane. They figured it out. They and he was a big piece to that for him to not end up with a home uh so feels shitty, pretty honestly. shit yeah, yeah. feels nope. very very shit um i think other players that also like, I, I what, this is the fucking this is the fucking dichotomy of idiot lcs fans is they're constantly saying oh yeah you know we want more native talent and these same people are shitting all over revenge who is actually definitely an lcs caliber top laner who should be getting an opportunity especially over a player like this korean player who's coming in castle on immortals well, yeah, how like, about how about fake god like, thank yeah, God, I know he played with too. Disguised, but, like, Revenge was in LCS that whole time. So, Fake God was, was really bad in his last split. He ends Terrible. up taking a break. He comes back. He does well in Academy. But Revenge was doing well in LCS. Like, how does doing well in Academy give you more points than doing well in LCS? I don't get it. it it's the same thing, actually, in LEC. It, I made a post where I was like, this roster looks like shit, the Mad Lions roster. And everyone was telling me, like, dude, did you see Niski and Karzi and Hilly at Worlds? It's like, yeah, that's fucking Worlds, dude. How does doing well in EU Masters get you more points in a fan's eyes than, than doing poorly at Worlds? Like, being one of the best teams in L LEC. Badlands was the second best team in LEC over the course of the year. They performed so often. How do those players lose so much value from a bad Worlds performance compared to, like, being in EU Masters and getting second? I don't know. But I mean, I mean, you look at the top laners here, right? Castle on Immortals, does Revenge go back? Probably not. But you got Whippo, 100 Thieves want to do the young roster with Sniper. Fake God is obviously one that I think could be targeted here. Rich, who had moments of being MVP Rich. Impact's going to Liquid, and we know what Impact provides. Dokla's coming back to NRG, and then Fudge had probably the hottest seats out of all top laners and got the vote of confidence from, I mean, look, uh, if, if, I, if I'm Cloud9, I would immediately sign either, if you have the cash, I would sign Revenge or or um, Licorice to like a league minimum contract and just create competition in the top lane. You know what I mean? Mm. Why yeah. not? Costs you like 75K. It's not that much money. And like, I think having one of those players in your pocket as a backup would actually be very, very good for Cloud9. Uh, let's move to our low-key excited roster moves for the year. Both, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not done yet. Work. I'm kind of no-key excited about the rumored Hanwha roster as well. Because if it's if it's really? Zekka, Peanut, Doran, Viper, Delight, this is kind of just like, as far as I can tell, a worse version of Gen G. And it's not that they're going to be a bad team. It's that... Do I actually care about this team more than I cared about the previous iteration of Gen G? Right? Are they going to reach the heights? Are they going to win like the three I mean, finals I do. in a row? 
I, I mean, I don't, oh, really? they, I don't think they, I don't think that they're going to win the finals in a row, but I think that's like a ridiculous like bar to set. I mean, I'm comparing Conwell life to like Conwell life this year. I think that they become a top team with this because now Viper sure. actually has teammates like Viper has the support. Viper played the whole year with no one, bro. Get a fucking <laughs> <laughs> I don't even the word that I was about to say to describe what yep, his, jungler, yep, yep. his band jungler was. I can't say on a stream. So like, yeah, that guy <laughs> as a fucking jungler, like getting fucking banned. Like he had no one to play with last year. So, I mean this, at least now he has someone to play with. Like he has people on his team now. I, so the reason why and I'm no key like, excited okay. is, is it's not that I don't think they're going to be a playoff team or like a top five team or a top four team. It's that I just feel no excitement for this because it doesn't, it doesn't substantively feel different than Gen G, except it just has Zeka instead of Chovy, which is less exciting in my eyes. Yeah. But I mean, I think that there's also the, the dynamic of like, we've seen if Zika has players around him that will take care of like the macro game and he can just focus on being an individual player. I mean, we've seen that he could be the best player in the world at times. Like we've, we saw that during a world championship and I think that that is something that Pe the peanut Zeka pairing, I think, makes a lot of sense. So are you low-key like, okay. excited for that? Is this our transition? Are you low-key excited for this roster? Yeah, I would say I'm low-key excited there for it. Go. I'm, I'm low-key excited for Viper to just have a chance because I think this guy is actually just, like, insane talent. I mean, I think he was the best. I think I think he's just a top 280 carry in the entire world. So now he actually has people to play around. And people just, they they underestimate how much having bad players around you uh, around you impacts you they'll see like viper get caught when he has no vision and like his whole team is just no no one is anywhere he has to walk up contest midwave with zero fucking vision he gets ganked from like four different fucking angles and they're like oh look he gets caught sometimes he makes mistakes it's impossible to play a league like that man you need people to actually help you out i think the, the light peanut pairing is really fucking good at, at um creating structure and i think that you know we saw the Doran is more than serviceable in in the top lane in lck at least and Zika is a player that I think can mechanically perform if he's given that structure. So I just like the team overall. I think it's just a well-made team. It makes sense to me. Um, staying in the LCK, I'm low-key excited to see this World Championship roster run it back for a third time. Uh, Sheep Esports has just now uh, put out a confirmation that all five players will return to T1. So obviously, you know, we're going off of the reporter here, but he's been pretty right most of the time. And and again, getting to see them run it back and have like the benchmark now in a brand new map, a brand new meta, because like Dom said, this team was there. This, this, the, the meta for the last year, two years was basically the same. So this team staying together almost gets like two years of uh, work going back and forth there. Well, I think what's exciting, I am low-key excited about T1 running it back because it was never, their consistency was never in question when it came to doing well. I mean, they made three out of the four like international finals during their time as a team. They made all of the domestic finals, right? Um, this is a team that's been very consistent and very good. They were just unable to get over the hump of performing in their most important games, and it feels like now perhaps the curse is broken. And they're going to be mentally in a better space to do that. So there's going to be a lot of adaptation to do. But I think everyone is going to love the narrative of this team running it back. I think that's great. Oh, you're what? You're muted. <laughs> On Discord. Sorry, there we go. Who do you got, Monty? <laughs> what, what do you mean? That's what I said. The, the, the oh. low-key excitement for T1 running it back. I think okay. that's great. No. All right. All high right. keys. 
Hi, Key. Dom, start us off. I think you know. I think I know which way you're going. <laughs> Who I'm high key excited for? Yeah. Wait. Well, what do you think is is the way? I'm go- I'm going to say I'm high key excited for K Corp. Why? Oh, I, I wow. really like okay. K Corp roster. What? Yeah, it's Bo. Yeah, because I mean. <laughs> Well, it's it's Bo Yamato upset. I mean, it's, number one, Yamato is like literally one of my best friends at this point. Seeing him like like just compete again, you know, like having talked league with this guy for a whole year, like I, I really want to see, you know, how everything turns out. I want to see how he utilizes Bo because Bo is a player who we watched the entire year. We're like, damn, he's being misused. This guy is so talented. He's being misused constantly. I want to see what they can do with Bo. And then upset is a player that I think is just like, he's just disliked. In, in LEC, he's disliked in Europe, but he's actually good. Like, Upset is actually a top-tier player, and he gets disrespected so hard um, in EU, and I think that it's time for, like, a, a Upset, Bo, Yamato redemption arc. Okay. That is hype. I, I, I feel a little bit more sold here. Uh, Monty, who do you got? I think what's interesting is the potential Canyon rumors going to Gen G, uh, because clearly... The 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 Showmaker Canyon partnership, I think, had run its course this year. Showmaker had a very kind of bad year by Showmaker standards. And having now this seemed to be a total disaster because they might just have no shot calling. Right. Which was the problem with D plus uh, this past year. But if the if the roster comes together and this team ends up looking something like Pays, Chovy, uh, Canyon, Keen, Lehens, which like seems like a possibility or possibly barrel like barrel would be a very interesting one because obviously he has a lot of in-game weaknesses that are individual play weaknesses that are balanced against potentially his shot calling strength so maybe he's kind of the new peanut on this roster but i think that it is incredibly exciting to think about a return to form for canyon because this last year canyon definitely had a lot of lows but his highs were still utterly spectacular uh and he is such a fun player to watch when he is in a good team and on form and it'll be a very different phase of his career to play with somebody from like chovy and it could be a total disaster guys i think that's why i'm excited excited about this but the upside is crazy obviously and i think that if we're talking about intriguing moves whereas kind of the the hanwa roster is less interesting this the level of variance that could exist within this roster and the peak that could exist is really tantalizing i think uh the i'll get to my move but the thing that i'm interested in the most now is this korean exodus that might happen yet again given the fact that the salary cap will be put in place for the first time for the lck so it's only so first off the luxury tax is only coming in at 20 percent, i believe this year so it's being phased in over time so it's actually not huge yet um and it appears that uh, the the rumors are if canyon goes to gen g it's not because gen g is paying him the most money he he wants to win Right. And I think you're going to find that. I don't think that T1 offered Zayas, Caria, and Gumiyushi the most money. I think they actually just want to run it back. And a lot of Korean players, they're motivated by money, but I wouldn't say it's their primary motivation. And I think a lot of them probably are reluctant to go to China after the last few years of the COVID lockdown. And I think China as a whole is also drawing back in terms of their spend because they have a luxury cap that's in place as well. And the general economy of esports globally is suppressing player salaries. So I think a lot of players just want the comfort of staying in Korea because 
but there are there are hardly any rumors about many of these players going back to Korea. In fact, there are more rumors about players like Scout and Kanavi wanting to go to Korea, back to Korea, rather than Korean players leaving. Well, if those players come back, let's say it is a scout or, I don't know, rookie or players like that, that means people will have to move. So keep your eyes on some of the players. The, that is some of the stuff that I was hearing. But I think the move has to be, it has to be JoJo Pian and this Cloud9 super That's roster fun. that they that put together. Fun, right? Like that, that to me is like exciting where it's like, okay, cool. We got the heartfelt, you know, NRG number one North American plus Ignar roster. And now who he comes back on over uh, joining NRG. Uh, but this Cloud9 roster is some of the best that we've got put together and, and, and expected to compete off the jump. So I think that one to me is the one to watch. And then a quick shout out to getting to see what Masu does. Like Masu has been probably one of the most high prospects in uh, the Academy Challengers League for oh, quite a while. And now has the opportunity here with FlyQuest with Busio, another young talent that has come up together. And then they've got the uh, vets on the top side of the map. And that all came together because Inspired's getting his green card. So um, Jensen Inspired, Whippo, Masu, Busio. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch here. FlyQuest try to rebuild after having expectations sky high. Um, all right. Those are our high-key, low-key, no-key excitement for roster moves. Dom picking the spicy uh, <laughs> spicy one. Let's see what you guys think in the comments below. Uh, this, is, this has been a heck of an episode. And we're at the final turn here. Uh, to close it on out, it was announced earlier that the LPL broadcast will not run i think uh earlier uh, it was announced that so there won't be an lpl english broadcast it was announced so, you mean i announced it yeah <laughs> yes you, you announced it so monty take it away what, what am i what am i what am i rare what am i rare leaks uh here but i i thought i kind of had an obligation to do it because i really do believe that the lpl english broadcast should continue and that all the people who worked on it should continue to be able to make a living um and again this has nothing to do with riot headquarters i tried to make that very clear in my tweet it was really the on the chinese side that the decision was made not to continue uh having english and it is expensive and you know they have they don't really have the tools to like monetize it properly and i also think that they assumed that if they don't do it that riot would pick it up but unfortunately because there's such a short off season and i don't think riot headquarters themselves much like the eg and the the golden guardians moves i don't think they were prepared for this to happen and so i do think that on a long enough timeline there's a potential that riot steps in and takes this over especially because they have their new broadcasting hub in dublin and i think it would be pretty easy to you know kind of get casters there do a studio setup in dublin for this and and kind of i do think that riot has a genuine commitment to having the four major regions all broadcast in english i do believe that they very much want that uh so we'll see what happens but in the short term obviously there's a problem where um you know, they may not have that. And so they would have to rely on, you know, co-streamers like Dom here in order to pick up a lot of the slack with the LPL. But it would be sad not to have an actual official broadcast um, with a lot of experts in in LPL, because that hurts, obviously, the international tournaments as well, because then we don't get those insights of people who have watched all the games on the desks at international events. Not like Riot Care, because they pulled all those people before semifinals even started. Uh, but, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in theory in theory <laughs> Dom what do you have to add to this 
Uh, I mean, there's just going to be an English bro- speaking broadcast. I've talked to enough people like it. It might it won't be an official one or it might not be an official one. But like myself, Cadrill, like we will make sure that this will this will happen. Um, I'm committed to like spending upwards of a hundred thousand dollars a split, making it happen if I need to. Um, so it's just about getting the casters on board. I have a producer lined up. We're just going to make it happen because the LPL just, I don't know. I think the LPL is just the best region in the world to, to follow. I think it's the best to watch. And I think that if you look at the, the, the overall competition, I mean, people are going to look at T1 winning, but if you look at like what ended up happening this year, you had two LPL teams in, in MSI finals, you had three in, in semifinals this year. I think LPL was like the most competitive region in the world this year, even if T1 was the best team at the end of the year. And I just think that people need access to it. So we're going to just put our money where our mouth is and make sure that LPL happens. And if that means that I have to pay the casters because other people are being fucking lazy, even though they have way more fucking money than me, you know what? So be it. <laughs> and also, it is, it, I, I mean, credit to you, Dom. This is absolutely huge. And do give your subscriptions and donations to Dom because you will know that this is going into this place if you guys care about LPL. And Dom certainly is putting in, you know, he loves this thing and he's willing to keep it up. But it is shameful that a multi-billion dollar company is allowing this to occur uh, to arguably the most competitive region on Earth in League of Legends that has, you know, tons of viewership. It's not like people will poo-poo the LPL English broadcast, but it, it was doing pretty good numbers and it has been going up pretty significantly over time. And there is a way to make this a functional, like, money-making broad broadcast, right? And the fans deserve, the most hardcore fans deserve the opportunity to watch the best games casted completely in English, like, period. So, I, you know, hopefully Riot will do something on a long enough timeline. If nothing else, if this gets rolling with Dom, hopefully Riot will at least provide a stipend for the broadcast and just let somebody else run it, right? Th- that would also be an, uh, a good solution. But something has to be done. Yep. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, LPL and its growth will hopefully continue to come to screens to you in 2024. That does it, guys. That's it. 2023 is done and dusted. The world's trip is over. I've been overseas for um, almost a month now. Almost a month. I, I'm ready to lay in my bed back home in America. But I wanted to go ahead. Well, and you're going to esports awards, and I'm seeing you in like fucking like six days or some shit. So yeah, 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 I know. yeah I, I get I get to be at home in LA for like two days, and then we're off to esports awards. But it, it's been. This trip has been great. All the fans that came to say hi, all of the casters and staff and Monty, obviously you let me stay at your place for a little bit was, was amazing. And so it's great. Uh, this trip was awesome. And, you know, thank you for everyone for making it happen. And uh, thank you for all the hours that you, both of you put into, uh, you know, to make our show happen as well. So uh, thanks, Dom. Thanks, Monty. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, final words from our 2023 uh, season here, guys, Dom. Oh no, it's been fun. I mean, this is essentially the only podcast that that I I kept on doing, and it was for a reason. I mean, this is my favorite one to do. Um, I like talking about Global League of Legends. I like that we go through every single you know league in the world, and I'm gonna continue doing it. So yeah, I I appreciate you guys being here with me and and doing it um consistently. And I think that it's it's been a good show. Yeah, it's been awesome. Appreciate you taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule to do this. Um, it's been great. Thanks to Trolley and you know Esports, Bet, all of our other sponsors that we've we've had on this channel, um, and thanks to you guys, the fans who have watched Power Spike this year. We are 
you know, Last Free Nation, we're looking at a lot more sponsors for next year. So it's really exciting for us. And uh, we're going to continue to grow this show. And and thank you for supporting those sponsors as well. That will continue to be important as we move forward. But you can expect even more. Uh, and so it's, it's going to be great. Obviously, subscribe to our channels as well. Uh, a lot of the contents, you know, you've enjoyed will be coming back once the regional league start in in mid-January and maybe some extra special stuff as well. So just remember to subscribe to the channel. All right. Cheers, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. And we will see you guys next year for another year of Power Spike.